Hey Aaron, this is kind of weird. We come out all the way here in the middle of nowhere and no one is here waiting on us. See how you can rig up the machine. Um, I know that you hate the voice machine, but yeah, yeah, people yeah. now are calling it. We're getting calls from people all the time now on it. Yeah, so we, we are. Some, are for some reason, us. for some reason, I think it's that nostalgic feeling to know that you're going to get an answer machine. I uh, like the crappy way people sound on it. Uh, yeah. I think I got it wired. Hold on, hold on. Let me drill this hole. I need to run this through your jacket. All right, all right. There we go. Let me run this around you three times and plugged in and ooh, it's working. Man, I wish Josh was here. Like, I think he would know how to like plug in things better. Like, I don't think that you had to drill a hole through the windshield or go through my jacket pocket. Um, there's some well, exposed wire here. We're gonna we're gonna hey, fall. Hey, 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 hey! Exposed wire. I got you. Duct tape, dude. Electrical tape, man. I think this um, is going to work better. Man, now that we bungled our way through that debacle, let's see if we can MacGyver rig this radio. Hold on, wait there. I think I hear our buddy Shama. It is Shama. Hold still. This is stylish. It's kind of, aw. It's a no. Hey, wait a second. Listen. Hey, that's Carl's ad. For a chance to feel comfortable. Chance to feel confident. Chance to change the world. Carl 2020. Make Sunday cool again. I'm Carl, and I appreciate... What is it? Approve. Approve. Oh, yeah. I'm Carl, and I approve this message. You're listening to KRAP on the FM dial. Now back to the show. All right, my drive time guys and ghouls, we've got tonight on Kincaid and the Honey Badger. We have got something really great for you tonight. From the top of the charts, we've got the one and only Hit it, honey badger. Welcome to Childish Behavior, the spastastic misadventures of two family pastors. <laughs> you ready? We've been working with these kids for a long, long time. We may or may not have lost our mind. Time to time, make you laugh a little bit and expand your mind. Keep on keeping on, take a deep breath. Now come on, let's shine. Let's come together, we can run this race. Fight and talk about the battles we face. Show the love of God to the very end. Always remember, stay childish, my friend. 
Welcome to Childish Behavior with Rick and Aaron. And we are out in the Yay. woods of Montana. Ooh, did you see that? Did you see that? I don't know what that was. What? I think it was a bat. Ah, okay. Poopy so, stories. Yay. This is the this. time of year where we get around the campfire and tell spoopy stories. So just like last year, I still hate this. Well, I thought we were going to have four to five people out here. And like, like last year, it's just you and me. No, no, uh, we had that other guy that didn't give you a ride. Oh, gosh. That was <laughs> terrible. He said, like, no words the whole way home. And every Friday the 13th, he calls me from his number. I know it's him because I put the the number in my phone, and he just breathes into it. Anyway. We're out here in the middle of nowhere. Um, we got these instructions, I thought, from... Matt, you know, I got this weird, you know, this weird uh, address to come out to, and Matt's not even here. And very strange. So we're just sitting here. Are you telling me that we came out here? I thought you had. I thought you had this planned out, and you're telling me that you got a random letter from Matt. Yeah. Did you even confirm Matt sent you this letter? Well, it said Matt. It's well, (laughs) it said this. It said it's me. Matt Cannon, that's me, like three different times. So I oh. thought it was him. Oh, oh. It sounded that's, just like how he intros himself. Like he talks in the third, fourth, and fifth person. Uh, don't we all? Yes. So <laughs> I just assumed it was from him. So he gave us these instructions to come out here, and that's where we were going to meet. That's what I sent to Shama. I sent it to Carl. Uh, he's on the campaign trail. That's probably why he can't be here, but... Probably, probably. I, I hope Josh didn't get lost. Uh, uh, I don't know. So, anyway, for us to be able to get signal out of these woods, I thought it best to get up on top of the minivan uh, with our camp chairs. I really and, feel like uh, we're going to fall. Out here. I'm really scared we're going to fall. Our bats are going to hit me in the head. Nah, I, I think it's going to be okay. Uh, this is our second annual spooktacular uh where we sit around a campfire wait we have a we have a fire on top of our van no it's down below i i hate all this idea this is just <laughs> we're on top of our van and it's definitely and against boy scout regulations we might so fall into the we're fire. sitting on top of a van to try to get signal from an answering machine while there's a fire below us on the ground so if we happen to fall now that we're gonna fall and hurt ourselves we're gonna fall into a fire it's definitely against um Camping, uh, KOA rules, and Boy Scout rules. OSHA might call us on this one. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Two guys that just happened to have a podcast and happened to fall into a fire uh, <laughs> from the top and, of a minivan. And then we become an episode of CIA or FBI or whatever CIA. those <laughs> shows are. CSI? <laughs> yeah, that one. Yeah, <laughs> one of those acronyms. I hate it anyways. <laughs> but I would like to I would like to live though. Anyways, so we're on top of a van. Uh we're gonna tell some more spoopy stories. Wait a second, what is that? It's a mailman. Wait. Oh, it's a letter. Thank you, Mr. Mailman, that I have no clue how you found us in the middle of the woods on top of our van. How did you even get up here so fast? Well, you know, um it, we at the mail company believe that uh no sleet, no snow, 
or in the dead of night, the mailman must always deliver his letters. I thought the mail was only rain during the day. Not here. Goodbye. That's 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 weird. Anyways, guys, oh whoa. hey, did that guy look familiar to you? Uh, I don't know. No, I kind of, I, I kind of like this. I like this beard. Oh, look who it's from! It's from Josh Denhart. Let me read Josh's letter. Sure. So, I mean, Josh is just going through on this letter, and he's talking about how um, he's sorry he couldn't be here. That dude is sitting at home eating a big old thing of cake because it's his birthday weekend. It is his birthday weekend. Speaking of his birthday, you, my dear friends, can get lead volunteers for 45% off. If you go to the Childish Behavior website, you will click on the link at the bottom of the thing that says lead volunteers. You click there to take you to the lead volunteer website. You put in LV45 and you will get 45% off because it's Josh's 45th birthday. That's leadvolunteers.com or you can go to the Childish Behavior Ministries site. Go to the bottom of the page, click the lead volunteers link, make sure you put in the code. It's going to be epic, and you too can learn how to better lead volunteers. Dude, happy birthday, Josh. Let me get this letter going again. Um, okay, he says right here, let me get to his story. He says, he's talking about some guy named Alfred Noble. He says he's the creator of Dynamite. I think Nobel, maybe? Alfred Nobel. No- Nobel? Did you go to school at all? Uh, well, sometimes. Did hook on uh, phonics not work? Listen here, guy. Okay, go ahead. Who, who's reading this letter? This Nobel guy is a creator of dynamite, and they had a terrible explosion at his factory. All thought he was he had died. They wrote horrific things about him in the obituary, saying how he had created dynamite and and had killed millions and millions of people. He read it because he had. Not actually died, but was away from the office that day. Completely horrified him and haunted him. Um, he then spent the rest of his life as a changed man and came up with the Nobel Peace Prize. Boom! Drop the mic. Thank you, Elemental Gangster, oh, for your. He also says he says tales. this. He says this uh, may not be a scary story, but it haunted him. Yeah. Hey. Well, you know what. It's all about change, right? Oh, Unless, oh, oh, wait a second. The, huh? Look down. Look down. What, what am I looking down for? The voice machine. It's beeping. Oh. We're out here in the woods. We're going to tell spoopy stories, and I hope you enjoy it. It's going to be spoopy. Ooh. Don't spoop yourself, everyone. Yay. All right, let's click it. Hey, hello there, boys. It's me, T. Ferguson. I wanted to get in on this spooktacular. Uh, so I thought I would share a scary story that I was told many years ago back in Boy Scouts. You know, always be prepared and stuff. And uh, so without further ado, one night a father comes home late from work. And he wants to go in and tuck in his uh, little Johnny. And uh, he goes, hey, little Johnny, it's been kind of hard today in the the donut factory. Uh, Let me tell you a story. Little Johnny was really scared. And he uh, 
you know, uh, was shaking. And uh, the dad was like, what's going on, little Johnny? And little Johnny said, Daddy, check for monsters under my bed. Something's been bumping down there. And, I, and it, it scares me. So I get on my hands and knees and I look underneath the bed for his amusement. And I see him, another him, under the bed, staring back at me, quivering and whispering. Dad, be very quiet. It was a monster and he chased me underneath my bed. And he's been up there on top of my bed just a bumping and a jumping. Man, that almost made me spook myself. That was scary. Which one's the real one? Oh, yeah. I got, I got another one. I woke up one night to hear a knocking on the glass. And at first I thought it was a window. Until I heard it coming from the mirror again. Whoa! I'm full of these things. So, I got another one. So one night, after a long, long day at the work, making donuts and stuff, I uh, go into my apartment, and I am walking out towards the, you know, where the curtains are, and there is a grinning face staring at me from the darkness beyond my bedroom window. I live on the 14th floor. Terrifying, right? <clears throat> Whoa. That gave me the heebie-jeebies again. Oh, that T. Ferguson. He cracks yeah, me up. I just, I just, I, he, he worries me sometimes. Well, we have to have an HR guy, supposedly. That's what he told us. <laughs> well, that's I don't even know how us. we really met the guy. It's like we started making a podcast and this guy he's like, hey, you, uh, can I be your manager? And we we're like, I guess. And then like, it just kind of rolled downhill from there. I don't, we probably need to like, when we get back, question that. Yes. yes we probably should question a lot of things. We do, like but. we really need, you know, we're bringing on a lot of new people onto our podcast. We probably need to do some really hardcore background checks. <laughs> yes. Yes. So was there another one on there? Like it says, we there. got two messages. Bada bing. Bada boom, childish behavior still in your room, and welcome to another edition of Out of the Canon with your host, Matt Cannon. That's me. So let's get right into it. Now this story may be so scary, you may need to sit down, you may need to hold on to something, you may need to pray, whatever it may be. So here is the scary story. Buckle your seat belts, strap on your clothes, strap on your hats, get you some water, make sure you don't scream really loud, look where you are, look who you are around. Here we go. The name of this story is called The Yellow Ribbon. It is a spooky Wisconsin story. Here we go. Jane wore a yellow ribbon around her neck every day. And I mean every day, rain, snow, sleet, or shine, whether it matched her outfit or not. It annoyed her best friend Johnny after a while, though. He was her next-door neighbor, and he had known Jane since he was three years old. When he was young, he had barely noticed the yellow ribbon around her neck, but now they were in high school together, and it really bothered him. So he, had, he came to a realization when he said, I'm going to have the courage to ask her. And he says to Jane, he says, 
Why do you wear that yellow ribbon around your neck, Jane? He'd ask her every single day, but she would never tell him. Still, in spite of this aggravation, Johnny thought she was really cute. He asked her to the soda shop for an ice cream sundae. As you can tell, this is an old story because there's no such thing as a soda shop anymore. Then he asked her to watch him play in the football game. Then he started seeing her at home. And come spring, he asked her to the dance. Jane always said yes when he asked her out. And she always wore a yellow dress to match the ribbon around her neck. It finally occurred to Johnny that he and Jane were going steady and he still didn't know why she wore the yellow ribbon around her neck. So he asked her about it yet again, and yet again she did not tell him. Maybe someday I'll tell you about it, she replied. Someday, that answer annoyed Johnny, but he shrugged it off because Jane was so cute and so fun to be around. Well, time flew by, and as it had a habit of doing, and one day Johnny proposed to Jane, and she accepted. They planned a big wedding, and Jane hinted that she might tell him about the yellow ribbon around her neck on their wedding day. But somehow, with all these preparations and his beautiful bride and the lovely reception, Johnny never got around to asking Jane about it. And when he remembered, she got a bit teary-eyed and said, Well, we are so happy together. What difference does it really make? And Johnny decided that she was right. But in the back of the head, this really bothered him. Johnny and Jane went on to raise a family of four with the usual ups and downs, laughters, tears, screams, you know, stuff that happens. When their golden anniversary rolled around, Johnny once again asked Jane about the yellow ribbon around her neck. It was the first time he'd brought it up since the week of their wedding. Whenever their children asked him about it, he always hushed them, and somehow none of the kids had even dared to ask their mother. Jane asked Johnny with a sad look on his face. Johnny, you've waited this long. You can wait just a little bit longer. Johnny was very sad, but Johnny agreed. It was not until Jane was on her deathbed a year later that Johnny, he noticed and knew and was seeing this was his last chance, was about to slip away. He asked Jane one final time about the yellow ribbon she wore around her neck. She shook her head a bit at his persistence and then said with a very sad smile, Okay, Johnny. You can go ahead and untie it. With shaking hands and trembling, Johnny fumbled for the knot and untied the yellow ribbon and around his wife's neck, and Jane's head fell off. This has been another edition of Out of the Cannon with your host, Matt Cannon. That's me, signing off. That's a pretty scary story. I think I heard of rendition of that story back a long time ago like at boy scout camp wouldn't that be terrible that your wife's head falls off <laughs> just like because it's held on with just a weird lace our wives that went through childbirth how did she not pop her head off when she was going through childbirth like i'm pretty sure that at the end of life you know i guess that husband died the same day because <laughs> if i'm like i love you honey let tell me your darkest secret before before you <laughs> shuffle off this mortal coil and she's like take off my ribbon and then her head falls off i like there would be two bodies <laughs> that they have to roll I'm out done. at that point i am done after that point so man we got a lot of these recordings coming in we dude do, I, do. i've got to go take care of some business downstairs okay. make sure you uh <laughs> don't use the pine cone <laughs> uh yeah i learned from last year go potty make sure you do it far enough away where i don't hear you flush the tree
Throw me down right. a flashlight. Right. Here you go. Okay. All right. I'll be back. All right. Have fun in the bathroom. Hey, we'll, I'll listen to some more answer machine things while you're gone. Hey, everybody. This is Josh Denhart with today's Leadership Tip of the Day. Do your volunteers have a voice? A volunteer was recently quoted as saying, My ideas and suggestions are discounted and dismissed, no matter how well researched or how I present them. It's always brought back to me, open quote, not at this time. Volunteers, people, will stay where they have say. I gotta tell you, do you want volunteers to stick with you? You have to find a way to give them a voice. Within the Lead Volunteers platform, we call it influence. Listen, we want volunteers to have a level of ownership that they can say, and therefore they can stay. Listen, if you want volunteers to stay, you gotta give them some kind of say. Now I gotta tell you, this is dangerous sometimes. Me as a leader, gotta tell you, insider secret. I'm kind of a control freak. Why? Well, I want things to go a particular way. In addition, I don't think a volunteer is waking up every day at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or something like that thinking about the ministry that I lead. Last I looked, that's something that happens to me. Why? Because it's my job. They're waking up thinking about it being a bank teller or their kids at school. Got it. At the end of the day, I'm the one getting up every day and thinking about this. However, I need to enlist their ideas in a way that's going to cause them to feel a level of engagement. I'm going to tell you a quick quote that I found inside of a uh, fortune cookie. You can always find great wisdom inside of a fortune cookie. And it said this, diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way. Let me say that again. Diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way. Listen, I know where we want to go, but I need to orchestrate conversations and share vision and cast vision in such a way that other people's ideas can be brought into the stream of consciousness that I already have for this ministry. Now you may think, hey, that sounds like manipulation. Time out. That can be manipulation but it comes down to your heart. You got a bad heart, that's manipulation. If you have a good heart, that's called leadership. Listen, Lead Volunteers is a done-for-you resource with simple ways to increase a volunteer's sense of personal ownership. You just print and implement and automatically see results. Those who have say will be the ones who stay. Let's help you get your volunteers to have a voice and increase your ministry health. Let us help you. Leadvolunteers.com. Old T. Ferguson gonna go out on a good one here. Uh, as I played in the basement as a small child, my mother, she called me upstairs. She said, T. Ferguson, it's time to eat spaghetti. From behind me, somebody else whispered, don't go up there. I heard it too. I turn around to see my mom's. Oh! There was spoopy man. Made me spook myself. Well, I hope you uh have fun out there in the woods and uh I hope Aaron doesn't leave you like last time. Have a good day.
Hey guys, this is this is Howard, the intern. Well, I'm not really the intern anymore, because you guys fired me. But I know you're doing your yearly spoopy stories, and I just thought I'd tell you this one's about to get really spoopy. Bye, guys. All right, commercial break, and play. Have you ever wanted a pet, but you didn't want the hassle of taking care of it? Then boy, oh boy, do we have a deal for you. Look at your neighbor and say, super secret, secret stuffed squirrel. Stuffed squirrel, you say? You can squeeze it, you can stuff it, you can buckle it into a car seat. You can even name it Steve. Super Secret Secret Stuff Squirrel is available at your local farmer's market. So get as many as you can soon. Super, super secret soon. Today's episode is brought to you by The Praise Taser. Do you find yourself having worship every Sunday or Wednesday night and there's a few students and maybe even a few leaders leaning against the wall, talking to their neighbor, laying flat on their back like they're taking a nap or playing Angry Birds on their phone? Is that even popular anymore? Well, we're going to solve your problem. You want to give people a healthy nudge in the right direction. What we do is we use a non-lethal electrical pulse to turn their frown upside down and to let them know it's not time to talk right now. If you call now in the next 60 seconds, we will send you a free senior pastor praise taser collar for when your pastor exceeds a reasonable time limit. Call now. Operators are standing by. The number is 1-800-1-800-1-800-555. Hashtag Derp75. Again, that number was 1-800-1-800-1-800-555. Hashtag Derp75. Changing lives. One worship service at a time. this what what do you want you meant to read what 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 is this this is this is an ad don't we have enough ads already uh, whatever i'll read it but i'm gonna hate it already i'm just gonna tell you that i'm gonna hate it um wait what does it say does this are you serious we have a merch site now like like we can get shirts and like a hoodie or a hat uh what, what about what about like a, a butt I can get a button too. It's pretty epic. I like buttons. So you want me to plug our merch site? Tell tell everybody here that we, if they go over to childishbehaviorministries.com, which is our 
which is our new website we just opened up. And they click the button on the front page that says Childish Behavior Merch. They're going to take them to our merch website and they can get them some Childish Behavior Merch. That's what you want me to tell them. That's it. Nothing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm going to tell them this. Are we making anything off this? Or is this like everything else we do where we are literally just, we're basically just breaking even. We're breaking even again. So why are we doing it? Oh, okay, okay. So people can promote child's behavior, and so so that we can we can ex- we can spread our focus and reach reach new people and and let them know about child's behavior podcast, so that they too can enjoy this content and they can be uplifted through the crazy antics that is child's behavior. You know what? I'll do it. I don't hate it completely, and I'm sorry. So, as I already said, you've already heard. Go to ChildishBehaviorMinistries.com, click the button, get your Childish Behavior swag on. This has been Aaron. Lakes. Hey, buddy. Hello, friend. Your tone has changed a little bit. It's okay. I think it's the autumn wind has me uh. kind of... <clears throat> feeling weird. It's very intense. But anyway, I think I'm better now. Those Did were some was... nice commercials. Wait, that would be great. That sounds perfect. I've been working on this story for a while now. To beware the claw machine. Stanley loved to collect quarters for doing his chores and loved to save up enough to spend them on the claw machine in his local grocery store that his mother frequented. Like clockwork, as Stanley's mom was being checked out, he would check with her, waiting for the nod of approval, to indicate if it was okay or not to briskly walk over to the small nook of arcade games, a small carousel, a wall of gum and candy dispensers, and the aforementioned claw machine. It was a bittersweet treat for Stanley. He had never won anything from the machine before. At his best estimate, that infernal machine had devoured at least $50 over his short career as a contestant of the game that his dad, quote-unquote, often referred to as a racket. No matter what anyone said, it was the thrill of the chance of a victory Stanley loved. He loved every week to find out if he was going to be able to to win this cool new toy or trinket. Stanley loved how every week it seemed like the machine contained new varieties of toys, dolls, and occasionally superhero-themed mini dodgeballs. During this particular shopping trip, something was a little different. The claw machine was pulled out from the wall and appeared to be in the process of some kind of maintenance. The shiny, multicolored rectangle was not lit up like normal and had a large out-of-order sign hanging on the glass. Stanley was frustrated as the toys inside were very neat-looking. He had never been to the store right after it was restocked. Stanley's friends at school often told him that if he could ever be lucky enough to show up on that day, he would surely get a prize because they estimated he would have better odds since the toys have not been settled into an impossible mishmash of tangled treasures. 
How many times had Stanley had the claw pick up something he desired just to have it snag on a tag or other toys to be pulled back to the massive pile by a well-placed rogue arm of another doll? Stanley huffed and puffed. He was frustrated that out of the somewhat 20 times he had come here to this store, now on his rare chance for victory, it was snatched out from under him by an ill-timed maintenance call. Stanley closed his eyes and focused on his breathing exercises that his mom and dad have reminded him daily to help him with his anger. But this was not fair, he thought, and the fact kept repeating through his head. At once, like a volcano erupting, Stanley gave into that impulsive voice in his ear, and he aggressively grabbed the joystick, and he pulled it back with feral intensity, and as if it were spring-loaded, he let it go and let it bounce back and forth violently. He smacked the glass and kicked the side of the machine, knocking the sign down into the machine. The blood rushing to his hurt hand and possibly broken toe jarred him back into reality, and he was ashamed that this had gotten him all riled up. Stanley, feeling guilty, muttered out, and I'm sorry to no one in particular, being that he was the only one in the game room. Stanley shook his head and turned on his heels to rendezvous with his mother. As he turned the corner to leave, the machine flickered to life, and it seemed to be working somehow. He put his coins in and tried with all of his might to procure a prize, and after two failed attempts, he was out of money, and the claw retreated back to its default position. Stanley got his hopes up yet again, lowered his head in defeat. All of a sudden, the machine began to flicker on and off, and the usual music that the claw machine would emit slowly distorted from its fun theme to a song that sounded like it was melting before adjusting back to the familiar theme. This got Stanley's attention, and he witnessed the claw start to move. Quickly, as if by muscle memory alone, Stanley jumped back into position at the controls of the mighty claw. It was giving him another turn to try his luck, and this time he would win his prize. He just knew it. Stanley concentrated as hard as he had ever concentrated before. The claw dropped suddenly as if Stanley willed it, and the shiny metal enclosure fell right through the mound of toys and retracted a single stuffed cuddly platypus. Stanley gasped and held his breath, anticipating the claw's twitchy journey to the tube it would eventually drop his prize into. Come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it, Stanley muttered under his breath in a reluctant anticipation of finally getting a prize out of the far too many strikeouts that he has, that he has accrued. Stanley thought his ears were deceiving him as he heard the prize chute rattle and clang, signifying there was a prize to retrieve. Stanley was over the moon and was surprised that he happened not only to win the doll of, of his very favorite animal, but also it was a coveted Beamy Buddy by the Ryland Toy Company that had taken the world by storm in the summer of 1996. Wow, Stanley thought. People wait in line and fight over these things in department stores. When Stanley ran to show his mom his bounty, she too was surprised that one of these coveted toys were in a claw machine like that. Stanley was proud of his treasure and very protective as he believed this doll 
to be his treasured collectible, to keep his platypus in pristine condition, he made a place on his shelf. The next morning, Stanley was surprised to see his Patrick the platypus on his nightstand and wondered how it got there. He picked him up, looked the platypus square in the eyes and said, stay, stay. Stan giggled to himself and put the platypus back on his shelf. Stanley shot down the stairs and headed out to catch the bus. About fifth period, Stanley was tired. He wanted to go home and was bored all at the same time and decided to rifle through his backpack for one of his extra snacks that his mom usually packs him. When something strange rubbed up against his hand and he dropped his backpack when it caused him to flinch. The dropping bag hit the tile floor with a crazy noise. Stanley looked up in horror as he knew that the outburst would have alerted the entire class and the teacher to his location. Before he knew it, Miss Pentagrew was standing right behind him and he slowly turned to her. I'm sorry, Miss Pentagrew. I was startled and I dropped my bag. Leaning down, Stanley's teacher lifted his bag and peered inside. Mr. Whitaker, what's my policy on bringing things from home? Hmm, to not to? Hmm, to not bring things from home? Okay, Stanley, please explain to me why this be me buddy is in your bag. Stanley was very surprised, embarrassed, and blushing all at the same time. Um, 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 I, I don't know how it got there. I didn't intend to bring it, I promise. Well, it's here, and it's not supposed to be, said Mrs. Pentagrew. She grabbed the platypus and took it over to her filing cabinet. You will get this back on your way home and I will be talking to your mother. Ugh. Embarrassed and angry about this situation, he was very confused how that platypus got in his bag. He didn't do it, that was very weird. He almost, almost wasn't paying attention to the giggling students. Some giggling, some jealous, and some just being utter mean that a young man his age had a platypus in his backpack at school. Stanley was worried about that call to his mom. After school, Stanley went to Miss Pentagrew's class, and as try as she may, she could not find it. She apologized, and Stanley was bummed. When Stanley got home, his mother was waiting for him on the porch. Stanley rolled his eyes and knew that this was the talk. Stanley, I am disappointed in you. You know better than to take toys to school. By the way, I'm sorry, Miss Pentagrew told me that she couldn't find it. Someone must have stolen it between periods. I know you love that doll. Stanley walked up the stairs. He was exhausted. He just wanted this day to be over. As he opened his door, he was greeted by Patrick the platypus sitting on his bed. What? Huh? What in the world? Thought Stanley. This is weird. As he was picking it up to investigate, Stan's mom walked in. Stanley Ray Whitaker, as I live and breathe, how dare you lie to me and steal from your teacher? Give me that doll this instant. As Stanley's mom closed the distance to snag the toy from Stan's hand, the tag was accidentally ripped. The star tag fell to the floor in sections of three. One had the logo, the other had the birth date, and a small description, funny little story about the platypus and his name and everything, and the other a large, bold number three on it. She gathered up the doll and left Stanley to think of his bad behavior. You will get this back. 
when you can regain our trust. And at once, she left. Stanley went to bed that night. Stanley went to bed early that night and wondered what was going on. He did not take that toy to school. Stanley tossed and turned all night. When he finally went to sleep, he had nightmares that the claw was slowly dangling above his head and that the be-me buddy was life-sized and chasing him down a long corridor that never seemed to end. He could make out the disappointed faces of his mother and his teacher through the little random windows on the doors that would not open, all lined up down the hallway. Stanley woke up with a gasp. He was covered in sweat from head to toe, and on his chest, staring down at him, was none other than the be-me buddy platypus, looking down at him with his black eyes. Ugh, said Stanley. He looked at it. I guess my mom felt sorry for me and sewed the tag back on? That's really cool. It will make it a collectible again. As he looked at the tag, he noticed that the tag was different. He flipped through the star tag, and yesterday, where there was a, a big number three on it, there was now a bold number two. What was this? Stanley thought as he gingerly got out of bed and walked to the breakfast table. It was Saturday, and Mom made a big breakfast for the family. Stanley bounded down the stairs and turned the corner into the kitchen and met eyes with his mother. Stanley's mother was frustrated. Stanley, you got up this morning, went through my closet, and got your toy back without my permission? How dare you? No, ma'am, said Stanley. It was laying on my chest when I woke up. I thought you put it there. Stanley's mom muttered, No, sir. I was going to let you sweat it out. I thought you'd learn your lesson. I was going to give it back to you. But not this weekend. No, sir. Give me that thing this instant. Stanley handed it over and sat at the breakfast table, stupefied. What is going on, Stanley thought. Stanley's mother was frustrated and decided to have Stanley stay home while she ran her errands. On her way out the door, Stanley's mom said, I put it in a super secret place. You'll never guess where I put it. Get your chores done by the time I get home and you might can salvage the rest of your weekend. Stanley, still bewildered by what transpired, went to his room to get dressed and to get ready to do his chores. When he opened his door, the platypus toy was sitting on his pillow, staring at him. What? Stanley said, am I going crazy? Mom's going to be so mad if she comes home and she does not find it in the place where she hid it. Stanley thought to himself, this is too weird. And he threw the platypus across the room into the closet. He turns to devise a plan and the toy is now staring at him, sitting once more on his pillow. He picks up the doll, noticing the star-shaped tag had changed again. It had a big, bold number one on it. Oh my gosh, the numbers. It's a countdown. But to what? Stanley was tired of this game. He was done. He was finished. He was perfectly okay with any punishment his mom would give him to get over this weird happenstance. I know what I have to do, Stanley thought. I'll take it back to the store. Stanley estimated that he could ride down 10 minutes by bike down to the grocery store, put it back in the machine, and get home by the time his mother got home from her errands. 
he did not want this creepy thing in his house anymore. Stanley arrived at the grocery store's automated doors and thought to himself how stupid he must look returning his prize or even getting caught up in this weird situation to begin with. He made his way to the game nook, and to his surprise, the claw machine had been changed out with a brand new one. He didn't care. He came all this way, and he was not leaving with this creepy doll. He got on his hands and knees and put his arm halfway up the tube, and after three tries, he successfully put the platypus back in its machine. As Stanley hurried, he could have sworn he saw the lights flicker on and off in the machine. No, I didn't see that. My mind's playing tricks on me. This has been a weird week. Stanley raced back home before his mother got home, and he opened the door to his house, and the platypus was on the table, sitting there, looking at him with its cold black eyes, mocking him. No, said Stanley, this isn't real. This is a bad dream. He ran upstairs, locked his door, and braced it with his back. Okay, Stanley, don't lose it. It's only a platypus doll. As Stanley began to calm down, he saw the platypus on his bed. No, 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 said Stanley. This is not happening. He ran over to the beamy platypus doll and he looked it right in the eye and he said, you're not coming back this time, buddy. With all his might, he shoved the doll down the food disposal and with a flip of the switch, the machine came on. Fluff and tiny plastic beads shot all over the kitchen. Good riddance, platypus, said Stanley as he began to clean up the evidence of a torn-up doll. As he nears the end of his cleaning crusade, there was something brightly colored scrunched up in a ball on the floor near the fridge. Stanley walked over, examined it, and rolled it. He realized it was a star-shaped tag with a large zero on it. Oh man, what does this mean? Didn't I stop the countdown when I destroyed the doll? He balled it back up and threw it in the black trash bag. And in the cover of darkness, he got rid of the evidence. The rest of the evening was perfect. And Stanley and his mom and dad ate ice cream after dinner and watched a movie. Stanley remembers nodding off halfway through the movie and had weird dreams about the angry platypus chasing him. And he could not escape. Stanley woke himself up in a pitch black darkness of his room feeling groggy and itchy. He could barely hear a muffled symphony of music. Stanley was disoriented and could barely make out what was happening. All of a sudden, his world felt super claustrophobic and foreign, yet familiar. Stanley was trapped in a mound of stuffed animals. As the lights shot on, the only thing he could see was a large child slowly dispensing quarters and grinning ear to ear, a huge claw that covered Stanley in a blob of shadow. As Stanley panicked, he noticed his arms were made of green fabric. No, 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 this can't be happening, Stanley thought. As hard as he tried to scream, nothing came out. The claw came down from above and scooped him up, and as he was lifted, from his cushy and cramped prison, he could see his complexion in the glass. What was looking back at him chilled him to the bone. It was a green platypus with a star-shaped tag that read, Be Me Buddies. The only thought in his head as the claw dropped him down the large prize chute was, I hope my owner is nice. Dun-dun-dun!
Well, that story was that was eerie. That was not typical. That was that was like like Arl Stein, Goosebump. That was you're creeping me out today, man. I don't know what just. I don't know what. I don't know what happened while you went to the bathroom or maybe ate some berries. I don't want to talk about it. And I really don't know what's happening right now, but that was a little shady at best. Why don't you tell us your story, Aaron? Uh, Labarge. Uh, what? You, why are you using both of my names? Any, anyways, I'm going to tell my story. All right. So, in a small town not far from here, there was an old abandoned house no one ever went near because everyone said it was haunted. One day, a bunch of local people were sitting in a coffee shop chatting about bravery. One man in particular was bragging loudly, I'm not afraid of anything, he boasted. Oh yeah, sis buddy, I'll bet that you aren't brave enough to spend a night alone in the old abandoned house. The boaster didn't want to admit that he was afraid, so he agreed to sleep in the house that very night. At dusk, he arrived at the house alone. He checked every room and found nothing unusual. He chose an upstairs bedroom, spread out his sleeping bag on the floor, and tried to sleep. He had just dozed off when he heard a faint noise from downstairs. He strained to hear what it was. It sounded like someone moaning these words. I have a bloody finger, and I'm in the front hall. The man told himself that he was just imagining things. It must be the wind, he thought. But then he heard it heard a bit louder. I have a bloody finger, and I'm at the bottom of the stairs. My imagination is clearly running wild, he thought. I'm just going to go to sleep, and soon it will be morning. But then he heard it even louder. I have a bloody finger, and I'm at the top of the stairs. The man dove inside his sleeping bag, but he could still hear it. The sound getting closer and closer. It says, I have a bloody finger and I'm in the upstairs hall. The man hit his head under this pillow because we all know that works. But he could still hear the sound getting closer and closer. It says, I have a bloody finger and I'm at the bedroom door. The man was shaking with terror as the door creaked open. I have a bloody finger. And I'm in the bedroom. And then the sound paused in the doorway. I have a bloody finger. Do you have a band-aid? It replied. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, I hope you enjoyed my story. I love your story. Aaron Labarge, would you like to go down this ladder with me and get a snack? From the back of the van. Um, I'm not just going to go down and do scary things because you offered me a snack. We have discounted sodas downstairs in the van. Mm, uh, uh, like, like you're not telling me like like Dr. Whatever and all these. Podiatrist Thunder, your favorite. Uh, um, that's not my favorite. That's a ripoff. We also have Meadows Spew and Mope, the original. It tastes. Almost like Coke. If you put a rock in your mouth and you no, stand I, no. on one leg, it tastes no. like Coke. I'm not doing that. I'm not going down there and standing on one leg and putting a rock in my mouth just to drink okay. a soda. So what if I told you that there is a box subscription to all kinds of themed socks? Would um, you like to go down and see 
the themed box of socks? Oh, whatever. I'll go down for that. Aaron, your socks subscription box is right here in the back of this van. Okay. Um, all right, I don't see anything. You might need to go in there further. Um, oh, all right, whatever. A little further. Um, what? This is kind of, it's crowded, crowded. A little further. No, but it's crowded. I, I, can you just tell me where it is? This is very disarming. Like, where is further. this? I don't. Hey, <sighs> hey, look over there. There appears to be a bear over there. Uh, actually, that looks like the mailman. That's because it is. Oh, what? Ha 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 ha. Our plan is working. Yes, it is working. Hello, Aaron Labard. Hello, Richard Wadsworth. Are you ready to make podcasting great again? We shall make it great once more. We are very glad of our mysterious benefactor letting us out of our cages. Now that we have subdued the other two, we can now podcast whatever we want. Where are these socks at? This is... Where Where are the... This is ridiculous. Right, wait, what? Wait, Rick, how did you get in here? Is this like some weird magic trick? How, you were outside and you tied up right here. Yeah, I, I can't... I'll be honest with you. I like it. Um, like, this is better. What was that? I can... Actually, I'll be honest with you. I can kind of understand you, but I kind of think this is funny looking. <laughs> okay, okay, here you go. Ah. You could hear me saying, take it off my mouth. You just wanted to... You, listen, how did he get you in here? How did who get me in here? You put the me in people here. people that have our faces. I. Hey, where are my socks at? You popped in here for socks? <laughs> I was told there were... You told me there were socks in here. That, that wasn't me. That was the other me. Oh. So he tricked you, me to come in here? Okay, so I, I, I'm down there doing my business. And... and Aaron comes up, you, the other you, comes up and says you found a box of puppies. So I come up here running up here to find a box of puppies. Dumb. There's no socks. There's no puppies. Wait, who walks up with somebody in the middle of going to the bathroom? Dude, you do all kinds of weird stuff. How am I supposed to know? (laughs) That's a little, that's a little extra Dude, I thought you might have fell (laughs) off the top of the van. You were talking like you had a brain injury. (laughs) That was, that was, well, maybe. We got to get back. And figure out how we're gonna get get back in control of our podcast. Uh, uh, the door's locked. Well, all right, knucklehead. Listen, undo my hands. Uh, Th- that's the reason why they didn't tie you up because you would you couldn't find yourself out of a paper bag. <laughs> undo my hands. Um, Thank you. I don't know. All right. I don't okay. Know. I don't, I'm not very get, happy about untying your hands with your rude comments. There is an epidemic happening. There are people that have our faces, and who knows what they're going to say on the podcast. We've got to get the word out. Now it's time for world denomination. World? I'm taking over. Man, he doesn't know what podcast he used to work for, did he? (laughs) No clue. I mean, he's going to take over what? 25 people and both of <laughs> yeah. our grandmothers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what, what does he think this is? We uh, literally, I mean, he should have known by the name of this thing that this was not the platform to go anywhere. <laughs> Plus, those guys, they don't even sound like us. They sound nothing like us. But well, you know what, though? 
that speaks to a deeper issue. We followed them into a trap. We did. It should have been pretty obvious when each of us showed up in red jumpsuits. I mean, we look terrible in red. Hopefully we'll talk to you next week. And if for some reason we sound a little different, stop listening to the podcast. <laughs> Just, I repeat, stop listening to the podcast if we start sounding weird. Hey, um, hey, 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 I found some chicken nuggets. I know how to beat Howard. It's on. We really need to rethink our life choices. Let's <laughs> get that box of nuggets and let's go get our podcast back. On it. Childish. Out. Never, ever, ever grow up. It's definitely a trap. Stay childish, my friend.